The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Well, thanks so much for listening today. We have a great guest, Bobby Lopez from Todco, really one of the leading housing advocates in the state, particularly focused on the Bay Area, San Francisco, but the whole region. Uh, really one of the groups that's actually making progress on this topic. I think progress has been um, very frustrating to come on affordable housing, but Bobby explained some things that they've been doing to really move the ball forward and some things that we can do this year to keep that progress going. So this is a hugely important topic. I know it's on everybody's mind is how we deal with the housing crisis in California. I think you're going to hear discussion about some real solutions for the topic. So Bobby Lopez with Todd Co. Don't go anywhere. Hey. Podcast listener, I'm JC Pope, producer with IVC Media. I'm just interrupting to see if maybe you have a business, a nonprofit, or even a campaign that's basically struggling to break through all the communications noise and clutter. Well, for more than 10 years, IVC Media, we've been putting together a suite of digital tools, data sets, and techniques to help deliver innovative and effective communications. I mean, we have teams in both San Diego and Tijuana, so we can help you overcome the most challenging projects in any language or location for that matter. Don't believe me? Look, feel free to go check us out at ivc.media and see how we can help you. I mean, go ahead. Go take a look. What do you really have to lose? Now, let's get on to this week's episode. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Bobby, thanks so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate the time. Thank you, Brian. It's such a pleasure to be here. Could you start by introducing your organization to our listeners? I know a lot of people in the Bay Area have heard about it, but for those who haven't, could you tell us what Todco does? Yeah, so Todco does a couple of different things. First and foremost, we're an affordable housing developer, and we have uh, projects that have been uh, longstanding in San Francisco. So we have about over a thousand, somewhere between a thousand, about thousand twelve hundred uh, residents in our buildings. We have eight buildings in South of Market uh, that we maintain and care for, um, and proudly built ourselves uh, with labor, of course. Um, and we're also now working really to look at um, policy work. So in supporting uh, something that's very unusual for an affordable housing developer is we're also now looking at interim housing solutions. So obviously we're big supporters of pushing permanent affordable housing, but something that we started doing is funding and supporting what you call interim solutions, sort of like the villages and, and different housing solutions that are uh, cheaper and more effective and can more quickly house um, our very large unhoused population on our streets of San Francisco. Right, so I wanna talk about the policy stuff and particularly you guys have really had a lot of success with pushing local ballot measures with this regard. And, and I, I wonder how first you decided to go that route as, as opposed to more conventional forms of advocacy. What led you down to the ballot path? Well, it really varies year to year. So we also do legislative advocacy and we're very excited that we're working regionally and currently working in Oakland to push forward an affordable housing uh, policy for the city of Oakland. Um, so it, it can vary, but we have really done measures because um, sometimes we do it with legislators. Sometimes we enjoy the independence of not working with legislators, not going through that process, but always talking to our community partners to move forward legislation on the big topics that are impacting it. So one of the things 
things that we supported last year, for example, was Prop I, which is the real estate transfer tax and the social housing measure. Uh, and for that, that was not something that came out of Todco per se, but came out of a lot of young activists in the city of San Francisco that we really wanted to support and push forward to really create um, a bucket of money uh, for much needed housing. Um, and also really start incorporating these concepts around uh, social housing. Uh, so we do some ballot measures, but we also do legislative work. And so for right now, we're, we're going to be working with uh, the city council in the city of Oakland to push forward something called uh, EIFD, uh, Enhanced Infrastructure Financing Districts, uh, which um, is something that other cities are starting to look at, like Fresno and LA, um, Sacramento's already doing it, but looking at ways of using tax increment because cities are growing so exponentially, especially in the Bay Area, and setting aside, you know, bonding against that tax growth to, to you know, to really address our big issues. And the big issue we want to address is affordable housing. I mean, we have thousands of people on the streets of San Francisco, thousands in, in, in Oakland. And, you know, the housing crisis has exponentially grown over the last two years. Um, and so how do we really address the crisis now and not 10 years down the line? Uh, you can bond and go to the voters. Or you can do an EIFD, which doesn't require voter approval. Um, but there's a lot that can be done with an EIFD. And one of the things that we worked at with the state legislature was to expand what you can use an EIFD for. So not only are we proposing an EIFD for affordable housing, it's also for small business support um, and also for your regular infrastructure needs that a city may have that are that's having a hard time meeting those infrastructure needs. So let's unpack this EIFD concept yeah. a little bit more. Um, let's make sure we repeat the acronym first. Go ahead, go ahead with that. Uh, enhanced Infrastructure Financing District. So okay. uh, they've been around, you know, it started really kind of coming into form back in 2014. So when redevelopment was, you know, broken apart by former uh, Governor Jerry Brown, there's a lot of things people can say about redevelopment and its legacy that's very troubling, especially if you look at San Francisco and the history in the Fillmore. Definitely, uh, you know, there are a lot of problems with redevelopment. But something that was very powerful about redevelopment is that it created a financing structure for affordable housing. So about half a billion of the dollars that San Francisco had used in the 90s towards affordable housing came from this financing model. So what an EIFD is, is basically taking the best part of redevelopment, which is taking tax growth and directing it and bonding against it so then you could build like you could do capital projects or you could do in, in San Francisco's case, affordable housing. So the legislature has really been working on this. We worked with assembly member, Kevin Mullet, who was phenomenal um, to really kind of expand how you could successfully use an EIFD. And so now you have 40 of them under consideration across California because the last two years uh, they've been made technically easier to use. It's sort of a wonky technical uh, financing tool, but it's a good one that cities can use um, to really create an immediate amount of money that they can use for uh, big projects. Um, and so that's a big issue, Brian, because if you look at the recent polling on bonds, which is how we typically have gone to voters, there's a lot of exhaustion right now. You know, people are concerned about taxes. There's a lot of uncertainty in the pandemic. Berkeley just did a poll about bonding for affordable housing and didn't do great, right? So how do we address these crises when our community folks are feeling overtaxed to be frank. And so one of the things that people really like about this measure is there's no new taxes, not to quote our former president, George Bush, but there's a piece of it that people like because we're working with our, in our means and looking at that tax growth and using that tax growth to our advantage. 
and we had assembly member Mullen on the show a few months ago actually talking about a different issue entirely 17 year old voting which unfortunately failed um but he was he was leading the push on that great guy big fan of his work uh so let me make sure we got the process the legislature with his leadership passes bill that allows every municipality or the um, basically the state created municipalities to do this. Is that right? Oh, it could be, it could be a city. It could be a County, for example, Howard terminal it, to fund the affordable housing component in Howard terminal. There are EIFDs being proposed. Um, so there's a city EIFD and a County EIFD to offset those costs. Now that's different than the EIFD that we're currently talking about when working with the city council, but that's an example. Most of the EIFDs that you know about have been around stadiums. Right. But there's no reason why you couldn't use this financing tool to address affordable housing. So how do uh, council members typically react to these EIFD conversations? I mean, I would imagine there's some friction in the sense that you feel like they're sort of tying their hands with, with for future budget dollars. What's what's the typical conversation go like when you have this conversation? Well, I think it's a very, um, you know, I think at first people are used to just bonding. So when we explain, you know, it's sort of taking the best out of redevelopment, a lot of folks get it right away um, because there's a lot of critiques to be made about redevelopment, but the, the housing stream that it created, and there's some really great graphics out there that shows the dip in monies available for affordable housing correlating to the, you know, the dissolution of redevelopment. Um, and so I think it's taking the only probably functional part of what was redevelopment and putting that back into a way that's structural. Um, the reality is right now, the way that we're depending on affordable housing is, you know, going to the HCD, which is the state housing agency and getting tax credits um, or, you know, asking the legislature to continuously do more money, more money, one-time monies. You know, the, the other ways that cities get money for affordable housing is through like impact fees and things like that, but that's really minimal. Like, Oakland's a perfect example where, you know, the impact fees have been incredibly minimal. And so even though regional housing allocation needs say the city of Oakland should be creating 29% or 27%, sorry, affordable housing, it's only creating 7%, right? So clearly cities need to meet that unmet need. Um, the other piece that's really important is that, you know, we've, you know, both San Francisco and Oakland to use as examples have met their RENA goals for market rate housing. You know, Oakland killed it, right? 174% means that it over exceeded its goals, which is good because we need, you know, housing at all income levels. Um, oh, you know, San Francisco over, also over exceeded by, you know, 140%. But then you look at the affordable housing piece and it's, it's really sad. You know, Oakland only met 26% of its low income construction, San Francisco only 37%. And even worse, moderate income, income folks, which is our middle class, Oakland only built 3% of what it was supposed to. I mean, wow. nine units in a year for, for middle-income families. Yeah. Incredible. And, and an EIFD you could use for low-income housing, you could also do workforce housing, right? So it's also a little bit more expansive that you're not just, um, you're not just looking at you know, low-income, you could actually expand it to different income levels, uh, which is why I think a lot of cities across the state are looking at it. Now, a lot of cities are looking at it in more traditional sense of infrastructure needs, paying for aging sewer systems or what have you. But I think this is an opportunity for, to, for the Bay Area to have leadership and be creative in how we do this. So take me behind the scenes of the politics of this a little. I'm always interested if from the perspective of this issue is every politician seems to support affordable housing. It's, it's sort of hard to find somebody who claims they don't. And yet progress is so slow and painful as you've just laid out. Why do you think that is? I mean, I think there's a multitude of factors. I mean, there's a great amount of comp competition for parcels of land, 
Um, I think that's a huge factor. Um, I think that cities have been slow to move forward public lands policies. For example, Oakland, uh, the mayor has not implemented that policy, even though it was voted on back in 2018, right? So for whatever reasons, policies are slow to act. The cost of construction has, you know, I'm sure you've had other speakers talk about this, but the real cost of construction for building a unit has exponentially grown, especially in this last year. I mean, I saw some numbers where it was like $380 per square foot, right? Like that, that that's absurd. Yeah. Um, and I myself am doing some small repair work on, on a unit right now. Um, you know, $60 per piece of plywood. That's that's a lot. Crazy. Um, and so I think the cost of construction is a factor. I think the availability and accessibility of land uh, to do so. I think that there's a real concern too um, that we've seen in San Francisco and in cities like the city of Alameda, where you have a lot of sort of upper income individuals pushing back on affordable housing projects. Um, so, you know, we've been really supportive of some of the state legislation looking at uh, making it easier to construct low income housing without the, you know, barriers of, of uh, sometimes individuals, community groups that, that oppose that. I think that's a factor as well. But I think the biggest factor is money. You know, even when you look at the bond measure that San Francisco did, which is really great, that money's all already accounted for. You know, like it, it's, it's so expensive to construct. And then we also haven't really landed on alternative forms of construction um, that we have the situation where we're not building at the rate we need to build with the crisis that we have. And we are in the middle of a pandemic and we have a great number of households that are rent burdened. I think I remember reading that 53% of Californians that are renters are rent burdened, right? So we have a, a large number of our renters living in precarity. Um, and so how do we address that? I mean, I think it's preservation of rental units, but I think it's also looking at what the barriers are to construction low-income housing, which is money, cost of construction, um, access to land, which, which are basic building blocks, right? We had a guest on a couple months ago, I'm blanking on who it was, but, but he said something interesting that I never thought of. He said, it's not that California's laws are necessarily worse on affordable housing as the rest of the country. They're probably equally as bad. It's just that over time, we experience so much more growth, which is, which is you know, maybe it's changing, maybe it's not. But over time, we certainly have experienced more growth than the rest of the country, and the laws just never caught up with that growth. Is that the view you subscribe to here? Well, I mean, I used to work for a city government. I worked for the city of Oakland, city of San Francisco. I think there is such a thing as bureaucracy. Um, and I think that our levels haven't been able to accommodate and align with the growth that's happening. I also think that having worked in city government, city governments don't prioritize affordable housing projects. They prioritize the projects that give them money. And so that also creates a conundrum when an affordable is trying to move forward a project. They don't get special um, treatment. If anything, they're less treatment because they're not bringing in the big bucks that one of the bigger market rate projects have unfortunately seen that in different cities um, that I've worked in. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's truth to what your previous commenter said for sure. So what should be done at the state level? Um, we, we certainly have seemingly every legislator talking about this topic, um, but, but again, not the action we wanna see with some notable exceptions. What, if, what are your policy priorities for the year? What do you wanna see done? We have some uh, regionally, and then we also have some statewide. Well, today, AB 854 was discussed, which is the Ellis Act bill, which one of our sister agencies in San Francisco, the Tenderloin Housing Clinic, is moving forward. Um, and that is a bill that would uh, de-incentivize individuals uh, from buying uh, properties for the purpose of flipping them. 
uh, in the Ellis Act. And that's a that's a the Ellis, the use of Ellis is something that's really impacted greatly uh, San Francisco. Every city's different. And when I've been on statewide calls, I hear how different things are region to region. Uh, but that's something that's deeply impacted San Francisco and it's not starting to impact Oakland. So how um, well, how does the bill work? Let's pause there. What what would it do to de incentivize? It, it basically says that you can't flip a house within, I believe, five years. Okay. So you'd have to hold it, you have to buy you'd it. Have to have, it. You'd have to do an affidavit saying, I am going to live here. Right. Uh, so, you know, of course, that's going to be hard to enforce on some levels, but it's a step in the right direction. Um, so we're a big supporter of that bill. Uh, we're a big supporter of, um, of, of, of a bunch of other bills. The big bill that we're supporting, which might be a little surprising, is actually a buy right bill. And I'll explain why we're supporting um, SB6, uh, which is the bill that allows for residential construction um, on uh, commercial property, excluding industrial. And that's a really big bill for us because I think that there's a real problem right now that's happening uh, with office space and malls being underutilized. If you drive through San Mateo County, you'll see tons of empty office buildings. Sure. And those buildings could become housing. And the reason we like this bill and you know more so than some of the other buy right bills that were discussed in the last cycle is because it actually has affordability caked in. It either respects the inclusionary housing requirements of the city that might be there, or it has a min minimum threshold of 10%. And 10% may not sound like a lot, but again, region to region, it's different. What affordable housing means to Fresno is very different than, than Oakland, right? Um, so for us, we think that would be a huge bill to pass because it takes off the pressure. First of all, it's already developed land. So the CEQA concerns are not going to be there as much as right. developed point. land. Yeah. Secondly, you're, you're developing an area that's already developed. So you're not going to displace people. You know, our big concern with buy right legislation has often been the displacement impact, mm -hmm. which is why we push for like racial equity studies and what have you. Um, but if you're already developing and developed underdeveloped, underdeveloped you underutilized site, the displacement factor is so much less if, if in most cases completely non-existent, especially for residential. Um, and of course, there are caveats in there to protect as well. So are, are you talking about actually retrofitting existing commercial space and literally turning that into residential units? Or are you talking about building residential units on the same properties or both? I think it would be both. I think, I mean, I think that it would be hard in some cases would most likely be a demo because there's so many requirements for residential construction in terms of having, you know, means of exit, fire and right. life safety Makes that sense. it may not be fiscally possible to do that. But you gotta remember a lot of these office spaces also have these huge parking lots adjacent to them. Right. A parking lot you can just build up right away. So so for us, I think we we're it doesn't prescribe what kind of development if it works on existing construction or if it works on demo. Um, but I think the idea is taking underutilized spaces and making them into housing. And we already know these spaces are near jobs because they're usually built in job centers. Um, so that's one of the bills we're pushing along, you know, supporting the work of, of THC with the Ellis Act. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of requests budget wise to push forward uh, monies for um, affordable housing. There's going to be a lot of effort to push monies forward for affordable housing. And that's something that we tremendously support, uh, which is really just, you know, making sure there's a pipeline of money. Uh, for housing. There's other there's other bills that there's actually a bill that is going to see if it was being heard, uh, what the outcome was, but it's AB 328, which is reentry housing, which is really creating housing for folks coming out of the prison system. Um, there's a lot of studies out there that show that folks that come out of the prison system reoffend, and we know that housing 
interrupts that process of and ensures that people, you know, become stable, become healthy, and what have you. Um, there's also AB 387, which is social housing being pushed by Assemblymember Alex Lee. So there's a lot of really exciting bills, the cycle that folks can get involved with. Uh, there's also going to be a constitutional amendment to repeal the need for an election to, to construct, uh, you know, low-income housing, uh, which will really, you know, so the issue I was saying about how we have barriers to constructing low-income housing. So there's a lot of really exciting bills out there right now. So the Constitution Amendment would go to the ballot for voter approval, presumably? Yeah. yeah. Or, and that'd be like a 2024 situation at this point? I believe it's the 2024, yes. Okay. Well, that's a great list of policy priorities. Anything else that should be on people's radar? Well, we're in the very early stages of working with other community-based orgs around the state on something called sensitive community mapping. Um, and the idea there is to is to really look at, you know, which communities are vulnerable by displacement um, and other factors. So you look at like the percent that's low income, percent that's senior, um, percent that's rent burden and of color. Um, and you really think about how maybe by mapping uh, you can then inform folks on like how they make policy decisions. If if there's a if there's a bill that may have other impacts, we're asking folks to really consider that and to use a mapping tool to make those decisions. Um, so the idea is it's very new. We're just getting started, uh, but we have some excitement statewide. Um, where I am, we have something called a bag which is sort of like our regional body to deal with development and housing and economics. And, and they've done mapping in the past, which has been really helpful and really great to really look at, um, you know, they don't call it sensitive communities. Uh, they've called it a host of other names. We say sensitive communities, but sometimes you call it equity priority communities, but it's basically tracks that are, you know, have a disproportionate number of folks that could be vulnerable to displacement is how I would say it. And you're working on legislation related to this or technical? Yeah, we're working on legislation. Uh, yes, sorry, Brian, you were saying. Oh, no, go ahead. What does the legislation actually do? Well, the legislation would just create a mapping tool. We're, uh -huh. we're just building would, would fund the fund the development of the yeah. mapping tools. Fund and have the and have it be statewide because we have these maps in Northern California, but I don't believe I reached out to SCAG. I don't think there's anything in SoCal that's similar. There could be. And if there is, I'd love to hear about it. Um, but it's really like thinking about how we build in what we, you would call equity priorities communities and how we build in a way that we can encourage more affordable development in those regions um, and also protect those regions because they are vulnerable, right, to displacement. Um, you know, so like I said, ABAG has a map that we've looked at and it'd be great to sort of, you know, work off that map potentially uh, with community and maybe even have a separate community map to, to really explore how we develop in those areas. All right, well, all the, all the map tech companies in the Silicon Valley li listening, please get involved <laughs> in the lobbying on, on this. I'm sure you can find a good California company to build out for you. Well, that's a great list. So, um, and it's a good segue. If people want to get involved in the advocacy, if they want to learn more about your organization, help you with the great work you're doing, where should they go? Where can they find out more? Um, they can just email me. I'm happy to take emails. Uh, we also are forming a lot of different coalitions in the region to push forward progressive agendas. We don't just do housing. We've been doing some community organizing. So we were supporting efforts on um, uh, macro in Oakland, which is, uh, you know, the uh, nonviolent police response, uh, response police, non-police response to nonviolent mental health cases. Um, you know, we were supporting some parent organizing around the Head Start. So you know, we're, we're doing a lot of community-based organizing and trying to do some base building work as well, but really housing is still our bread and butter, and we hope to really move forward this EIFD concept in Oakland 
um, to, to help Oakland meet its uh, regional housing goals. So you could just email me. Sorry, there's a long-winded way of saying you can email me at uh, bobby, B-O-B-B-I, at todco.org. That's B-O-B-B-I at T-O-D-C-O dot O-R-G. Excellent. Well, uh, listen, you got a huge agenda for the year. We really hope you are successful in the things that you're trying to push both in Sacramento and at the regional level. So thanks for what you're doing. We wish you the all the best of luck for 2022. Thanks for your leadership on this issue. Thank you so much for having us. Really appreciate it. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, exploring the inside political stories driving public policy in California. Powered by Neptune Ops and presented by IVC Media. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening.